Hi, I'm Ashley Cooley, a birth baby and sleep specialist and mom of three. There's so much information out there, right? This show is dedicated to helping you clear out the noise so you can figure out what will work best for your baby and your family. If you're looking to learn more about your baby, gain more confidence in your parenting, and get as much sleep as you can through it all, you've come to the right place. Bringing up baby is about to get a little easier. Hey guys, this episode is really eye-opening. I don't know about you, but whenever I've heard the term birth trauma in the past, I never really understood what it meant. And I thought basically if somebody said they experienced a traumatic birth, I just kind of assumed that it was just an awful, awful experience. Some Something terrible must have happened. Something really bad or invasive went on during childbirth. And that would be really hard for somebody to take in, to say the least. And while that may be true, and gosh, I hope no one ever has to experience a traumatic birth, though I know, unfortunately, some people do, um, but it's I've just kind of learned over the years and after talking to people like our guest today, that it's not actually so much what has happened, but it's more so about how whatever happened, how it made you feel, how it affected somebody. So today I'm sharing with you a chat I had with Abigail Barth, owner of Two Birds Counseling, to talk about what birth trauma really is, how expectant parents can help set themselves up for a positive birth experience as much as possible, and ways that they might be able to unpack how that birth experience made them feel. So there's so much to unpack here, really, we're just scratching the surface, but here's my conversation with Abigail to get it all started. Hi, Abigail. Thank you so much for being here. It's really nice to see you again. And I'm, I'm really excited that we're going to get to talk about this today. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. And I'm actually super excited too. Awesome. So Abigail, I would love if you could start off by just telling us a bit about you and how you've come to do what you do. Sure. So I always find this question interesting because my path to getting here was not exactly a straight one. Um, So I am a social worker. I did my uh, master's of social work at the University of Calgary, but I'm actually originally from Florida. And so I sometimes have a different perspective of like the medical system. And there was a lot that I had to learn when I came here. Um, But when I did my master's, my plan was specifically to work in children's mental health uh, around domestic violence. And I also included animal assisted therapy. And um, so I, I have done that work. So for the past five years, I was working in an indigenous community outside of Calgary working with students ages 5 to 12 is about my sweet spot. I had a dog that worked with me as well. Um, And what came of that work was um, a development of a previous interest in trauma work and grief work um, that had always been there but was not something that I was doing previously. And so... I already had a background of that and I actually, I don't know if you're interested in this part, I came to become a therapist because I saw my own father dealing with his childhood trauma Mm. as an adult. Mm. So when I was about 19, uh, he, it really, um, 
it really came up for him and affected him in all sorts of different ways. And so I was watching someone actively work through these things and I'm thinking to myself, well, if this had been done when he was a child, when some of these things were occurring, mm. what could have been different for him throughout his life? And so that was how I came to do the work that I was doing. Um, and in terms of perinatal mental health, so I now own a private practice, it's called Two Birds Counseling. And this came out of my own lived experience uh, of trauma and grief that came with trying to conceive birth postpartum, right? Mm. Uh, and so I can share a little bit about that. Uh, I'm very open about it. If you look at my website, you also have some blog posts if you want to know more. But um, essentially, I came, I came to trying to conceive from a very realistic standpoint. Like I'm a very data research driven kind of person. Uh, and yet I was completely taken aback by the stress um, and the grief that came with trying to conceive. I had an early miscarriage and there's lots of things that come with that. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking that would be a good, <laughs> a good second topic, the grief that comes with some of that. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a whole world of, of grief work there. Um, so doing that, and then I did get pregnant. Uh, my pregnancy was fairly chill and then my birth was not mm. and because my birth wasn't or maybe this would have happened anyhow uh, I struggled with my mental health postpartum particularly around bonding with my daughter um, breastfeeding was extremely challenging just feeling like I wasn't myself and that's often a kind of a trigger phrase when people are going through postpartum mental health concerns. They won't say like, I'm experiencing postpartum mental health concerns. Mm -hmm. They'll say, I don't feel like myself right now. Something's wrong. I'm not me. Mm. And that's what I was experiencing. And so um, I did have to do some advocating for myself in order to even receive a uh, an assessment to see if I could use mental health support. Um, and then I was lucky enough to work with uh, her name is Jen Reddish. She runs the Essence of You Counseling, and I still see her, so I'm like perfectly happy shouting her out mm -hmm. all the time. Um, but I started to work with her, and it was when I started to work with Jen that I realized, oh, hold on a second. My birth experience was actually traumatic. Hmm. And that was a very strange realization because I myself am a mental health professional who works with trauma. And I couldn't see it. Hmm. And it was shocking to me. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then once I started to recover uh, a bit and my, my mental health was stabilized more and I really did feel like I was a parent and I was building that relationship with my child, I started to think about how I could play a role in this world of perinatal mental health. And um, I always laugh at this when I tell people because in my mind I thought, oh, I'll go... <laughs> I'll go into perinatal mental health and it'll be quote unquote like easier than what I was doing before um, that I'll do postpartum anxiety. I'll do postpartum depression. I'm not going to get into like the trauma work. And the reality, Ashley, is that I find that stuff boring mm. and I really like to do the trauma and I like to do grief work. 
And so I specifically accessed counseling in those, or counseling, training in those areas. Um, and that is what has developed in my practice. And I'm just so honored to be able to do that work and to be welcomed into people's lives and, and sit with their stories. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can relate in a lot of ways. Uh, and we've talked before a little bit about this, but um, I kind of came to the work that I do in, in a very similar avenue, also experiencing losses. And I, I mm-hmm. look back now at myself back then and thinking, oh, wow, like that there was thing, there were things going on there and I can't believe I couldn't see it in myself because I mm-hmm. like I was working in mental health. I worked with mm-hmm. people every day anxiety depression i knew how to work with that but yet when it's happening to yourself a completely different experience not what you would expect so Mm -hmm. interesting and so i've turned it it for myself not going the counseling route but the education route because that's where i found i could lessen anxiety and things if like I just knew more about my baby and about all of this Mm -hmm. and and it has helped me so it's kind of like a pass it on situation Mm -hmm. so I totally I love that you uh came to it with that I mean I don't love that you went through your own experiences where that were traumatic of course but that that personal experience that you're able to bring to the table with that mm-hmm. um, and really having that level of understanding for those that have gone through things and are maybe not able to see it um, like you did mm-hmm. right yeah yeah absolutely so what what does it actually mean to have a traumatic birth because I know for myself over the years hearing that term it it makes it would make me think before of like oh gosh there must have been like lots of people in the room and it was loud and i mean who know everything was an emergency like that's the kind of thinking that where my mind goes or used to go mm-hmm. when i would hear that term so but what does that actually mean to have a traumatic birth mhm such an excellent question and so simple on the outside yeah. complicated on the inside yeah so The first thing that I would say is that when we're talking about trauma generally, there are two kinds of trauma. So there's what we call big T trauma, so capital T trauma, and there's little t trauma. And so when we think of trauma, often we're thinking of big T trauma. We're thinking of things like natural disasters. We're thinking of car crashes. We're thinking of, um, you know, severe physical assaults. Um, And those are obvious from the outside as a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. When we get to little t trauma, they're sneakier because it doesn't necessarily correlate to what happened to you. This is for trauma generally, but with little t trauma, it's not something that's maybe immediately apparent or that everyone would say, oh yes, that is a traumatic event. Um, And so particularly when we're looking at birth, I find so many of the people that I work with don't recognize what were really terrible experiences as being trauma. Mm -hmm. Because little t trauma in the context of birth could be things like feeling invalidated, feeling unheard, feeling dismissed or alone. Uh, It can be really, quote unquote, like simple or, um, 
uh, routine procedures that are really scary for the individual. So for me personally, I am afraid of needles, which I laugh about because I have tattoos. They're a different kind of needle. Mm. We won't get into that. <laughs> but <laughs> I just kind of sick it. It's extended a tattoo yesterday, so it's on my mind. Mm. Um, but I'm afraid of needles. And so I did not want an IV and I did not want an epidural. And it was purely because of the needles. But I ended up being induced, which meant I had to have an IV. And then because I was induced, there was, of course, the waterfall of interventions that came from that and that eventually necessitated in me needing an epidural, which was also terrifying to me. Mm. And of course, I made it through all of that. And there are parts of it that I'm actually quite grateful for. Like in the end, I'm glad I had an epidural because I had to have further interventions that I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to feel, Mm. but that's such an insignificant thing for other people, but it was a point of trauma for me. And that's where we get sticky. Like where this, this question of what is trauma gets sticky because there are some things in birth that are obviously traumatic emergency cesareans might be traumatic hemorrhaging um you know coming in and um, things being immediately wrong with the baby or your life also being in danger but we can feel that fear or that threat um regardless of what the event is does that make sense absolutely yeah 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 so so sometimes people will come to me and they'll say well i i am experiencing postpartum anxiety And then when I talk to them about, okay, well, how is this affecting you? You know, all of those questions, but also what was your birth like? And then they say, oh, well, I went to the hospital and no one believed that I had a problem. And then I went back and then I ended up on Pitocin and that this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. And then I was left alone. And then someone was mad at me. All of those things add up. Mm -hmm. And then when you're looking at what the after effects are of a traumatic birth, we're looking at difficulties bonding with baby, difficulties breastfeeding, um, you know, anxiety and depression, um, OCD, post-traumatic stress disorder. All of this stuff can come from experiencing birth trauma. I want to throw something else in there, though, which is that if I compare my birth to my mother, who was maybe listening to this, <laughs> my mom on paper had a far more traumatic birth than I did. So my mom was not, um, you know, her contractions weren't doing very much. She ended up with this emergency cesarean for both my brother and myself. And of course it wasn't a pleasant experience, But when I talk to her, she does not see that as traumatic. She does not have, she doesn't recall having after effects from that experience. Mm. For me though, I did not have that. I had multiple other interventions. Um, But if you were to look at my birth on paper, it was fairly normal. It sucked, but it was normal. Mm -hmm. But it was not good for me from a mental standpoint. And it affected me long after. And so you cannot tell from the outside, 
whether a birth was traumatic. Mm. It's less about what happened to you and more about how your brain and your body responded to it. Wow. Yeah, that's that's real right there. Like, it mm-hmm. takes a minute to kind of sit with that because, I mean, on paper, like you said, it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily look traumatic to you or mm-hmm. to anybody else. But how did it make you feel um, mm-hmm. and what can come from that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the research. Oh, no, go you go ahead, please. Oh, I was just going to say the research around birth trauma um, is revealing that exactly that, that it is not necessarily the amount of interventions or what kind of interventions. It is how someone felt. It is whether they felt supported. It is whether they felt heard. Um, it was whether things were explained to them or if things were simply simply done to them. Mm. Um, and that is all stuff that, I know you have another question that relates to this, um, but that's stuff that is outside of our control as a birthing person. Right. And you can put things in place to hopefully um, increase the likelihood that you will feel supported, but that doesn't guarantee that you will. Mm. And that's really hard because a lot of the conversation when we're in kind of the birthing world is about what you can do to prepare, how you can um, set yourself up better. And it puts the onus on the birthing person to prevent it. Mm. Yeah. And that's not great. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that that's the business that I'm in. <laughs> I'm in the business of prevention mm-hmm. and education and knowledge is power and mm-hmm. making informed decisions and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so can can we circle around that a little bit when it comes? Is there yeah. a way that a, a person or a system? I mean, we can't get into fixing all of the <laughs> systemic things. I'm a social worker, so... <laughs> we are not magicians. <laughs> well, happily yeah. talk about uh, that. Yeah. But basically, is there a way that expectant parents can think about this, prepare themselves, prevent any any type of, of trauma or, or the repercussions that can come from that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it is a difficult question to answer precisely because of what yeah, I said before. That doesn't mean, though, that, <laughs> do you know that study, I cannot remember who it was by, I think it was in like the 60s, where they had the dogs that they put in the crates with electrified floors. Oh, okay, this ringing a bell, yes. It was a study around yeah. helplessness. And what they did is that they would electrify the floors, you know, um, with little shocks, on an unpredictable rate and the dogs that were in a crate where it was unpredictable basically just stopped trying Mm. and and took on this uh attitude of helplessness Mm. because they couldn't prepare for it at all whereas if they had it on a regular schedule and the dogs understood when it was coming then they kind of would gear up for it, they'd get through it, and they would Mm. move on. And so, yes, we can Mm -hmm. see the parallels. So I certainly don't want to be coming here and saying, like, 
birth trauma is inevitable Mm because it's not. There's a lot of things that can be done to set people up for success. So that is education. That's understanding informed consent. That's understanding uh, what support looks like in the birthing room, right? Um, obviously with COVID that was really challenging. So there are, there is, uh, the potential for increased birth trauma when like that support is not Mm -hmm. available for sure. Um, but that doesn't mean that there are not things that can be done to set you up to be more successful when we look at trauma. The unfortunate thing is that it is unpredictable. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, is stuff that's out of our control but when I talk to people and this is another part of my work that I just love to do um, when I talk to people sometimes people will come to me with a story and they'll say I didn't do enough Mm -hmm. or um, you know I should have stood up to that person or I should have done such and such a thing and then maybe I wouldn't have gone through this experience or maybe I wouldn't be experiencing this anxiety. And what I love about the kind of work that I do um, is I get to hear these stories and then I get to kind of pull these threads of, um, I refer to as resistance and resistance in the sense of like standing up against an oppressor. So we're looking for these moments of resistance when, you know what? When I hear your story, I'm hearing you went back to the hospital. You told them that you needed help. You told them something mm-hmm. wasn't right. You, you know, you continued on with birthing your baby, even though it was the hardest thing you'd ever done. You didn't just lay there and be like, just, you know, mm-hmm. make it happen. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you were, you were an active participant and you fought and you advocated. And that is all you could have done you literally did it all Mm. and to see how people look at their stories differently and how much healing that can enable Mm -hmm. for them is a truly um incredible part of my work that i'm just so humbled and honored to be witness Mm. to yeah because people are resilient and people do resist and they survive and they put everything into this experience. And and then, unfortunately, we're up against societal ideas of what birth should yeah. look like, how people should feel, what they should have done. And it's when we interact with those narratives that a lot more pain mm-hmm. comes out. Mm-hmm. And then I find how often do we hear too, well, at least the baby's healthy. And well, mm. oh, right? I'm so, at least you're okay. Uh. At least the, and you know, from well-meaning, lovely people that love you, I'm sure, and care about you, and just wanting to find something positive to, to put a light on. But doesn't that wouldn't that knock someone back you know hearing that kind of stuff oh gosh absolutely it does a couple different things right it number one says i don't want to hear your story Mm. i'm putting a nice little button Mm. on the end of it you don't need to tell me Mm. anymore like you guys are fine so i don't want to hear it 
so it's invalidating that way. And then it's invalidating as well in the sense that it can be internalized. And so again, I talk to people and they say, I don't know if I had a traumatic birth, like we're all okay. And I'm like, I, I mean, I'm glad you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, ha- explain to me how this went yeah. for you. Um, and when they start to think about, actually, I did, a big part of it is um, uh, when we think about trauma, it's, did you feel that you or your baby were in danger from either a real or a perceived threat? Mm. So it doesn't necessarily even have to be something that was really happening. It's whatever is happening for you, right? Um, and so when people start to think about that and they recognize like, oh yeah, I actually was really, I was the most scared that I ever was in my entire life. So when people realize that this actually was a time in which they were maybe the most scared that they've ever been, they start to validate it for themselves. So that internalized invalidation we're starting to kind of dissipate because we are realizing that no, actually Mm. this was real and that is Mm. good enough. Absolutely. Does that make sense? How, I mean, I tell that to my kids all the time. It's how you feel is how you feel. There's never anything wrong with Mm -hmm. that, whether it's real, what you're afraid of or feeling or from a perceived something, it's still a Mm -hmm. real event in your body. Um, So yeah, that Mm -hmm. absolutely makes sense. Um, before we wrap things up, because gosh, I wish I could have you all day, but we're definitely going to talk again soon. Like you said, um, if, if, can I circle back to that prevention piece one more time? And I, I I 100% am picking up what you're putting down there. Um, I, as someone again, who is seeing a lot of expectant parents and I teach prenatal classes and, and a lot of new parents it is primarily new parents that are are coming to the classes so not always um there's already Mm. a lot of anxiety uh around the thought of the anticipation of what birth will be like they know full well Mm -hmm. that there's only so much they can control sort of air quotes Mm -hmm. um but that all those unknowns and even as someone who's educating them and I I do my best and try to we talk about all of it (laughs) and possible scenarios and things like that possible things that you might want or need because so that it's not the first time that they're hearing about it if they hear about it in that time Mm -hmm. frame so from the perspective Mm -hmm. of somebody who is expecting a baby who's already feeling super anxious about what's to come I, it's it. I think for me, it might feel inevitable that I'm gonna have a traumatic birth. So, where when do I start getting the help mm-hmm. now? Like, do you know what I'm saying? So, how is there anything, yeah, any yeah. extra uh, advice or or tips that you would have for somebody who's mm-hmm. really anticipating and and worried about what might be around the corner? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can think of two things immediately. One is simply talking about it. Uh, So talking about how you are feeling, um, whether it's with people who, you know, have had babies or not, but just to put it out there so that it's not living inside of you. 
Um, if you're not comfortable talking with somebody, if you can write it down, if you can um, even create art, and I don't even mean like it doesn't have to look like anything, but if you can sit with yourself and say, oh, my, like my anxiety right now is feeling really orange, and then you're able to actually get that orange onto paper, that can be super helpful because it gets it out of your body. You're not having to carry it around. On a practical level, I would say, and from a mental health standpoint, if you have the resources, um, I would recommend if you're already feeling anxious or if you are someone who is predisposed to anxiety or has experienced depression before, um, those are factors that in, can increase the likelihood that you might experience postpartum, postpartum mental health concerns. So I would say if you're not already working with a therapist, it, you can mm. you don't have to wait mm. you can start um, and get through some of that stuff ahead of time and then you already have that resource in place for if you need to continue talking to someone afterwards um, it it is there's a bit of a double-edged sword in terms of information too right um, and a lot of people and I think this was my preference as well. I didn't necessarily want to hear really scary birthing stories while I was pregnant. And that's mm-hmm. perfectly fine. Um, it is important, however, in my opinion, to be informed. And so that's what people would be doing through listening to your podcast or attending your classes. Um, and that is, I do agree that knowledge is power. Because how can you know that something's not going well? Or how can you know that you actually have the right, right. to refuse something unless you know mm-hmm. that you have the right to refuse something? So that's super important. And I, I do not want to say, like, don't do education <laughs> classes because you're the yeah. dog in the cage, right? Like, we're not just going to let it happen. But I do also want to say that You can do absolutely everything right. And this may happen, but that doesn't mean that it's your fault. And it's when we get stuck in that idea of fault and blame and shame that a lot of the really difficult stuff happens. And so I can't predict how a birth is going to go, but if you are going into it with as much information as you can, with an understanding of what your rights are and an understanding that if something happens, it mm. is not on you, then that is mm. kind of the best case scenario. With that support that you need mm-hmm. in the in the room with you, but yes. even afterwards. Yeah, 100%. yeah, lining up that support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, I, I found myself through yeah, this conversation you. holding back tears a couple of times. And partly because just the way you're speaking and talking about that. And I, I, my kids are a little bit older now, four, seven, and nine. So it's been a little minute mm. since I've been in the birthing room, but it does make you reflect back and think about times and how mm. other people could be experiencing those things, different ways to talk to people about their birth uh, mm. and, and helping them feel heard and seen and validated. So all really mm. good things to keep in the forefront of our mind. When we're having babies. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so thank you so much. Before we go, would you mind telling our, our listeners where people could find you and find out more about you? And when are you making the move to Nova Scotia? 
Oh, the question. So yes, you can find you can find me um, at uh, www.twobirdscounseling.ca. Um, you can also find me on Instagram. So my handle there is at twobirdscounseling. Um, that is where I do all my stuff. I'm not really on any other social media platforms. Um, and then I am, although I'm not yet in Nova Scotia, I am registered there. So, and I am currently taking new clients. So if, um, anyone is interested in that, you can contact me through my website. Um, and to answer your question, the hope is that in the, in, let's say the next six months we'll be heading out there, but I don't have an official date for you. It's not going to be this weekend by any chance when our our little storm (laughs) is brewing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wait till that goes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, as I shared with you before, as someone from Florida, who is very familiar with hurricanes. You know your storms. I am, uh, yeah. I did, yes. Yeah. I am okay not being there right now, but I'm hoping everybody stays safe and, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're gearing up and dry. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully we'll, yes, we'll definitely be dry. Thank you so much, Mm -hmm. Abigail. Once again, we're definitely going to have you back. We have so much more to talk about, but this has been a great starting point, I think. So I really appreciate it. Awesome. Oh, yes. Thank you for having me. Looking for more? Check out birthbabysleep.ca where you'll find prenatal classes, postpartum and new baby resources, and sleep support during the childhood years. You'll also find me on Facebook and Instagram at birthbabysleep. It would be awesome if you followed us wherever you listen to podcasts, and if you can, leave a review or a rating, which goes a long way for helping others to find us. That's all for now. I'm Ashley Cooley, and we'll see you back here next time.